Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2. We will be there in just a moment. Exodus chapter 2. Uh, while you turn there, let me uh, say, say a couple of announcements real quick. Uh, one is thank you for being so understanding last Sunday night. We kind of had a whirlwind disaster session trying to get here so that uh, we could worship with you. And of course, as most of you know, that, that just went downhill real fast. Uh, I appreciate y'all's flexibility and your, your support for us. I, I think we were contacted by no less than probably 12 of you uh, within that night or the next morning. And it's always nice to be checked on and loved on and, and uh, helped whenever you are dealing with a sick kid. So we especially are kids in that case. So we, we are thankful. I uh, also wanted to give you fair warning. Next week, we're going to do something a little bit different on Sunday morning. We're going to have some time where we just focus on the Lord's Supper for the whole hour uh, of the, and the morning worship hour. And I will be sending out emails to different men to get involved in that as we try to get prepared for that next week. So just be watching your emails this week as we uh, get ready. All that being said, I want to go ahead and jump into the lesson this morning. Um, Exodus chapter 2 tells us the story of Moses. Uh, really, the, the story of Exodus is the story of Moses. And you've got him born and, and uh, then quickly adopted into Pharaoh's house, and he's raised up in Pharaoh's house. And chapter 2 tells us the story of Moses essentially taking into his own hands the deliverance of God's people, of his people. Uh, we have him going out and killing an Egyptian in defense of one of his own countrymen, and of course his own countrymen reject him as a deliverer the very next day. Uh, Pharaoh finds out about the killing. Moses runs out into the wilderness of Midian, and there he spends the next 40 years of his life. And at 80 years old, we come to Exodus chapter 3, where God appears to Moses uh, in, in the burning bush, in, in that form, speaks to Moses there in the wilderness. And God basically says, Moses, I want you to go in and deliver my people. And you've got to wonder what's going through Moses' head, because he's going, I already tried that, and it didn't work. That was, that was 40 years ago, Moses. That, that was 40-year-old Moses. That's not a job for 80-year-old Moses. And so Moses quickly jumps in with excuses as to why he cannot be the deliverer of God's people. In chapter 3, verse 11, he basically says, well, who am I? That, that, that's not for me. And, and, of course, God gives him the answer, which is, surprisingly, you are no one. I'm delivering through you. And so his next question there in chapter 3, verse 13 is, well, who are you? Who shall I say sent me? And we've got that great phrase that we know, I am who I am. 
the Hebrew there can also be interpreted, I am that which I present myself to be. That's just a little wordier than I am that I am. So we go with the shorter version. But it, 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 it's a fascinating answer. It doesn't actually answer the question. Have you noticed that? He makes an excuse. God doesn't really answer his excuse. He basically just says, go. When you get over into chapter 4, verse 1, well, what about them? You know, what if they don't accept me as the deliverer? And of course, God then gives him an answer there, uh, allowing him to see that, that God is going to be with him, that God is going to give him proof that he represents God. And then you've got in chapter 4, verse 10, I'm not capable is his excuse. I, I'm not good with words. I'm not good at talking to people. And God says, I'm the one who made your mouth. Get up and go do the job. And I love that it really boils down to this. Look in chapter 4, verse 13. Moses said, please, Lord, send someone else. You know, and it really comes down to it. Moses just didn't want to go. He had already tried this. He, he had already failed at this. And he did not want to try again. But that wasn't okay with God. God had a plan. God had a way that this was supposed to be done. And so if he were to do this successfully, then he needed to do it the way God said it needed to be done. And it was now time to try again. And so that's what he does. I, I've been thinking about this for a couple of weeks. I came across a poem that I'm going to read a little bit later in the sermon. Uh, but in thinking about it, I remembered this poem. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have. There's a lot of brilliance in this confusing little, little story. When you break it up, this is kind of the story of the way things don't get done even today, isn't it? That when you approach a job, we all just look at it and go, well, somebody's going to do it. Some, somebody needs to do it. it I'm sure somebody's going to do it. But what we really mean by that is, I'm not going to do it. Somebody else is going to do it. And then this next line, anybody could have done it. It wasn't a particularly difficult job. It wasn't something that took a special skill set. Anybody could contribute and take care of the job, but because everybody was sure that somebody would do it, nobody actually did it. And that's the way things don't, don't get done. And then when somebody actually does step up to do it, somebody gets angry about it because really it wasn't that person job it was everybody else's job and so why is that person doing the work and then you've got people that everybody thought anybody could do it but the reality is everybody wouldn't do it and so the job either goes undone or it gets done by nobody uh, or a somebody who in this story we're calling nobody 
I tell you, I've seen this story play out over and over and over again. Haven't you? This is why there's that old business uh, concept of the 80-20 rule. Everybody's heard of the 80-20 rule, right? That 80% of the work will get done by 20% of the people, and that 20% of the work will get done by 80% of the people. It's really probably more realistically a 90-10 rule, that if you take a congregation of 100 people, there's generally about 10 people who do the majority of all the work that needs to be done because, well, somebody needs to do it. Even though everybody could do it, somebody has to step up and get it done. And then you know what the 90% do while the 10% are working? They complain and gripe about it. They get angry because it wasn't their job. Why are we, why are we dumping all this stuff on that person over and over and over again? We should all just step up and do more while not actually stepping up to do more. And that's true in business. It's true in families. It's true in, in congregations. It's just a principle of life. And, and there's no reason for it. Looked up online some, some you know, sociological art, articles about you know, what is it that causes us to quit, to not want to try again, to not really want to, want to do more, be more involved, or get, get more uh, personally active in the things that are going on? And, and this is the list that it came across. You know, peop, these are the signs of people who you know aren't going to step up and do the work that needs to be done. Somebody who's unwilling to try a task because they're scared of failure or they want to avoid doing hard work. Well, that seems pretty obvious. They're not going to do work because they don't want to do work. Or somebody who's easily discouraged or gets emotional very easily whenever there's, there's hurdles to jump or, or there's speed bumps in the road. They, they don't really like to deal with the conflict or with the, with the possibilities of failure. Somebody who constantly needs encouragement to keep going or they need to be, have that carrot dangled in front of them, that promise of something good right ahead of them, that, 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 that's what they need. They're not going to work because nobody has time to constantly encourage if they're busy doing the work. People who rely on others to complete tasks instead of just taking the, the ball in their court and doing the job themselves. People who they, they give up easily or they walk away instead of confronting problems that will arise while you're doing a, doing a task. Or they get defensive, they start blaming others, they start making excuses, they cheat, they cut corners, they, they find some way of making their life easier because they're more focused honestly on self than they are on getting something done. Well, God's not okay with that. And I think sometimes we have convinced ourselves because of our modern culture and because of maybe even modern preaching that God wants life to be fun and easy and comfortable. And I'm going to tell you without any hesitation whatsoever, that is a lie. God's desire is not for our comfort. His desire is for our discipleship. 
His desire is that we be more of what he has called us to be and to constantly challenge ourselves to be more than what we've been. So I want to do a little little exercise with you um, that, that I hope maybe will, will, will drive this point home. Ask Drake if he would come help me. Drake, come, come up front. Uh, we'll, we'll see if this makes sense. I'm going to have Drake right here and face you guys, and then I want you to put your hands right out in front of you like this. Apparently my coat's a little too small. I can't get my arms all the way. Get your arms all the way up, nice and perpendicular to the ground. We're going to put your hands a little closer together, just like, I want you to stay just like that, okay? Can you do that? All right. My parents used to make me do this whenever I misbehaved because I, I apparently had too much energy. And so they would find jobs to make, tire me out and to make me wear out. Or, you know, we'd be on trips. They would, they would have me get out of the car and do this. So I'd quit badgering my brother and sister. They'd make me run laps around the, the gas station. No, no one else had this experience? Okay, that's just me. All right, so th- this, is, this was a common experience for me. But I think it's a good illustration. Now, Drake doesn't misbehave ever. But it's a good illustration of why we want to quit jobs. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to start burdening Drake a little bit. There you go. Just hold that right there. Don't let your arms go down. All right. So one of the burdens that we face whenever we are trying to do the Lord's work or whenever we're trying to be active in our, in our world is uh, honestly, sometimes we're just not convinced that the goal is worth it. You know, we've not been convinced that God really wants us to be. You doing okay? Okay, don't want us to, to be busy that he doesn't want us to, you know, we're, we're not really bought into what we're trying to do as a church. I, I, I always think back on evangelism. Why is it that we don't evangelize? One of the reasons I think is because we've not truly been convinced that that's our job. And so we, we just, we don't do it. We're, we, we just get to where we're sidetracked from the goal uh, there are other times when the problem we run into is that we're not sure what to do when we're facing resistance. Uh, we're not sure how to handle people who have a problem with us or who want to come. Are you okay? Right, so we don't, we don't want to struggle with, uh, against people and against some of the things that, that we have to fight in this world. Uh, we get to overthinking and overplanning things, and so we get caught in the planning process. Straighten those arms out. Come on, come on. All right. We, we start caring too much about other people's opinion, uh, and, and that becomes a problem. Or, or we might have the grass is greener syndrome, or, or we, get, we want to be instantly gratified with, with point. Sometimes what we do, thank you, Drake. Sometimes what we do is we get so distracted by burdens and by the, the trials of life and the difficulties that we face. And we get so focused on us that we forget that what we do and what we're about is more important than us. We forget that, that there's something bigger than us, that the goal that God has given us is big. And, and we just, we want to quit because it gets tough. It gets difficult. It gets heavy. It gets to where our arms start straining and now we're bending at the elbow and, and, and we don't know how to keep it all up. We don't know how to hold all this up by ourselves. And part of the problem is 
we're trying too hard to hold it by ourselves. We'll come back to that in a moment. Honestly, these could kind of be wrapped up in more common phrases like a lack of commitment, a lack of focus, a lack of clarity, a lack of or, or too many distractions. We're discontent about life or we're, we're, we're selfish in the way that we approach life because, because it, it becomes about us being comfortable. Did you notice that? Or have you noticed that before in the story of Moses? Moses He lived a life of comfort up until God called him. He he really did. He was trained in all the ways of the Egyptians back for the first 40 years of his life. He had all the food he could want. He had every extravagance that life offered. That was at his hand all the time. By the time he ran away from Egypt, he ran out into Midian, and we don't know how long it took, but it reads as if Fairly quickly, he found a wife, he found a family, he found a livelihood, and he settled down. He got comfortable again in this new life, out being a shepherd in the wilderness. And then God turns all of that on its head and says, I want you to go and deliver my people. And we know for at least part of that experience, he left his wife behind, he left his children behind, and he went out there and he did the hard job of confronting Pharaoh and bringing the plagues and leading an obstinate people out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, to Mount Sinai. And then he had the trouble of of week after week judging the people and bringing resolutions to their problem. He had to completely give up self for the sake of serving God. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to do the hard work that it takes to succeed, which in the case of following God is trusting in God? You know, there's a lot of people through history we admire, like Henry Ford. There are great stories written about Henry Ford and and the persistence he had and that he had this idea for a certain kind of engine that would make a car go and he took it to his engineers and they said it won't work and His answer was honestly, make it work. You don't really have an option. Make it work. And he's known saying things like, if you think you can do a thing or you think you can't do a thing, you're right. Because honestly, your success is more about your attitude than it is about your circumstances. Failure is simply the opportunity to begin again, this time more intelligently. Isn't that great? Don't you think that that's probably what God was teaching Moses? You think you can deliver the people because you are so smart and so connected and so wealthy and so strong? No. I'm going to drive you out in the wilderness and humble you completely, and then you will be prepared to lead my people because you will be prepared to follow me. Abraham Lincoln's one of my favorites. You look through his, his life, he failed in a business at 22. He ran for legislature and was defeated at 23. He failed another business at 24. He was elected to legislature in 25, but in 20, at 26 years old, he, he, his sweetheart died. He had a nervous breakdown at 27. 
He was defeated when running for a speaker of 29, defeated for elector at 31, defeated for Congress when he was 34. He was elected to Congress when he was 37, but then he was defeated on his next term when he was 39. He was defeated for Senate at 46, defeated for vice presidency at 47, defeated for the Senate when he was 51. And then he became president. He had some of the best quotes, if you ever read some of his writings. For instance, there are no bad pictures. That's just how your face looks sometimes. I love that. Isn't that great? If I were two-faced, would I be wearing this one? Uh, Another good one. But listen to this. Those who look for the bad in people will surely find it. I don't like that man. I need to get to know him better. Isn't that great perspective? And then when you reach the end of your rope, tie a knot and hang on. That's what you got to do when you're serving God. Because I'll be honest, God lets us get to the end of our ropes. He lets us be humbled. He lets us fail. He lets us struggle. Because it is when we are failing and struggling, we learn the value of having him. And we learn to quit putting so much trust in ourselves. John Wesley, from his diary, says, this is an example of, of his day. Sunday, May 5th, preached and St. Anne's, was asked not to come back anymore. That evening, preached in St. John's, deacon said, get out and stay out. The next Sunday, preached at St. Jude's, can't go back there either. Next Sunday morning, preached in St. Somebody Else's. Deacons called special meeting and said I couldn't return. Sunday, May 19th, the next week, preached on street, got kicked off street. The next Sunday, preached in a meadow, chased out of the meadow as a bull was turned loose during the service. The next Sunday, preached out at the edge of town, kicked off the highway. But that evening, preached in a pasture, and 10,000 came out to hear me. Are we willing to be that kind of persistent? Are we willing to try again because... It's not about the reception of the message. It's about the message itself. We should be. My favorite ball player ever. No, I'm not getting into a debate over Kobe or Michael. It's, it's pointless. Michael's better. But the, uh, I, I love this quote. I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot, and I missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life, and that's why I succeed. Okay, we have so convinced ourselves that it is unacceptable to try anything because what if we mess up? What if we don't succeed? What if we don't have the success that we're shooting for? Well, then we're a failure and, and nobody wants to fail. Nobody wants to mess up. Nobody wants to, to 
to have that kind of humility forced on them. But I'm going to tell you right now, God loves to force humility on his people. Look at this list. And we could go in such greater detail through scripture and find uh, countless others. But as, as you look at this list, there's not a single person on that list that you look at that you don't say they had major circumstances, major setbacks, major difficulties, major times of, hum, uh, of humbling, yet God used them in mighty ways because when God said, let's go, they said, all right. Are we that kind? Are we willing to try again and to push ourselves to be more of what God has called us to be? Let me read that poem to you that I mentioned earlier. It's by a guy named Edgar Guest, written back in 1917 during the Second World War. Somebody said it couldn't be done, but he, with a chuckle, replied that maybe it couldn't but he would be the one who wouldn't say so till he tried. So he buckled right in with a trace of a grin on his face. If he worried, he hit it. He started to sing as he tackled the thing that couldn't be done, and he did it. Somebody scoffed, oh, and you'll never do that. At least no one has ever done it. But he took off his coat, and he took off his hat, and the first thing we knew, he'd begun it. With a lift of his chin and a bit of a grin, without any doubting or quit it, he started to sing as he tackled the thing that couldn't be done, and he did it. There are thousands to tell you it cannot be done. There are thousands to prophesy failure. There are thousands to point out to you one by one the dangers that wait to assail you. But just buckle in with a bit of a grin. Just take off your coat and go to it and start in to sing as you tackle the thing that cannot be done, and you'll do it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What, what, what if Jesus were a quitter? What if Jesus decided this is too difficult. What do you think would have been easier? Enduring the cross and despising the shame or calling 10,000 angels? What would have been easier? What would have been the simpler task to let us die in our sin because that's what we deserve? or to come and fight sin day after day after day and you carry weight of sin on the cross as you hang there and die. What if Jesus were a quitter? Thank God he's not. 
we're told after this long list of great heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, that when you look at those people and you see the way that they persisted, the way that they tried again, the way that when they failed, they got up, they brushed themselves off, and they got back to work. Even though they didn't see the end result of the promises that God had given them, even though they didn't receive the inheritance that they were looking for, even though they didn't have the great blessings that we have on this side of the cross. All of those people didn't have what we have. But because of their witness, because of their fortitude, because of their willingness to fight the good fight and serve the Lord no matter what, we should be the kind of people who don't give got to be the kind of people who are willing to fight no matter what it takes to serve the Lord. We've got to decide once and for all if the goal is worth it. That might be where you're at in this. That might be the, the, the very thing you're struggling with. It, it might be that, that whatever area of your life you're, you're thinking about, and, and the principles we're talking about here, they apply to everyday life. They apply to our moral decision and even our moral, moral failure. They apply in church decisions that we make or that our elders make that we uh, are, are, are submitting to. They, they apply in the way that we raise our family, in the way that we raise our children, the way that we love our spouses. They apply in our job. They apply in every earthly endeavor. They apply in evangelism. There's not a single area of life where you don't need to have perseverance and you don't need to have what I like to call stick with itness. The only way you're ever going to stick with something is if you decide that it is worth it. Because every good thing we have in life, you've got to fight for. And you're only going to fight for something you care about. There are a lot of things I don't like. I, I, I am particularly abhorrent of cucumbers. No, thank you. We got a bowl of chopped cucumbers in the fridge with a little bit of salad dressing on it, salt and pepper. I will gladly hand that off to somebody else. I don't want it. I refuse to put that in my mouth. I am 41 years old. I've earned a right to say no. My kids still have to eat what we tell them to. But I don't. I don't. And I'm not going to. I don't like them. If there is a fight over the leftover cucumbers, do you want to know what fight I'm not involved in? that fight because it's not worth it not worth it at all I'm convinced that one of the reasons we so easily give up on the task that God has given us is because we're not yet convinced that those tasks are worth the effort If they were, we would be out there doing the job and having conversations with people and, and talking to people about Jesus. We'd be out there loving our families and being a great example of what it means to be a godly husband and a godly father because those things would matter to me. We fight for what we love, for what we believe in. So the question becomes, do you truly believe in these things God has put before us? Do you get rid of the weight that holds us back? 
Gibson, as, uh, as many of y'all know, loves running, loves cross-country running. He's involved in a running club, as are all of our children except for Maple, uh, down in, in Moody twice a week. And, and he loves running, and he has recently invested his own money into a, a, a weight vest that he can put extra weights in in order to, to, to get that extra strength in his legs and so that as he practiced with this extra weight on, I saw Nathan did this yesterday, uh, ran with a rucksack on three, three and a half miles, something like that. So, you know, it, that idea of running with that extra weight in training because the idea is when it comes to race day or when you really want to get your good speed, you take that vest or that backpack off and all of a sudden it's like you have been set free. You are faster. You are lighter. You, are, you don't tire out as easily. You are just, oh man, you can just go and go and go when you don't have all that extra weight on you. Same is true spiritually. When you let go of sin, you let go of, of grief, when you let go of, of that, that grudge you hold against your brother or sister, when you let go of the, of the frustrations about past failures, when you let go of all of those weights that hold us back, those temptations that are constantly trying to grab onto you. Uh, I, to continue the running analogy, I like to picture this passage like, uh, like running in the woods. So you've got to take off the weight vest so that you're not burdened down. And then you've got to watch out for all those roots across the path that are going to trip you up, that are going to entangle you. Do you see where I'm going with that? Those temptations that are always reaching out to grab your feet and cause you to fall down and fail. You've got to be watchful for those. You've got you to make sure you're not falling into those traps, that they're not grabbing a hold of you and pulling you down and causing you to fall. If you can get rid of those traps those entanglements, you can get rid of the weight that holds you down, you will be set free to succeed and to fly in the direction God wants you to go. But you got to be willing to get rid of that stuff. And just like I'm not convinced that all of us are sold on the goals that God has given us, I'm not convinced that all of us have let go of the burdens. We still feel weighed down. I'll hear comments in congregations in the past, uh, things like, well, we've tried that here before and it's never worked. So, what does that have to do with today? Because maybe now is the time for it. Maybe in the past we were like 40-year-old Moses, not 80-year-old Moses. Maybe in the past, we weren't prepared for where this was going to take us, and so God shut it down. But now we are prepared for where God's going to take us, and God's going to bring us success. We don't know until we do the job. Or, or I've heard things in congregations that I've worked with before where there's these grudges that are, that are killing the unity of the congregation. You've got this brother over here who won't speak to this brother over here because of something he said three years ago. And he's still angry about it, but he's not really angry. He'll say, well, I've forgiven him. I just don't want to have anything to do with him. Right? I mean, that, that kind of attitude that exists. No! That holds you back. 
from doing what God has put in your path to do. Could you imagine if Moses had said, you know what, I know that Pharaoh. He's a jerk. He was always a jerk to me when we were growing up. He always thought he was better than me. He's never going to listen to me. I don't want to go see him. I hate his ugly face. Direct quote that I've heard people say before. Could you imagine? We do that in the church. And we let those weights hold us back and we don't strive to thrive the way God intends for us. Maybe part of the problem is that we care what God, or, or we need to care what God thinks and only what God thinks. And we, we have a bad time caring too much about what other people think. If, if I had a nickel for every time I heard in a business meeting or even in a meeting with elders, well, what are other churches doing? Or what would other churches think about that if we made some decision? None of that matters. It doesn't matter what another church thinks. It doesn't matter what another church is doing. Uh, or maybe, well, have you ever seen that succeed somewhere else? Doesn't matter. Maybe God's success wasn't for them, it's for us. Problem is, we, we find reasons why we care too much about what the rest of the world thinks and we think too little about what God thinks. We do the same thing in evangelism. Well, I don't want to have that conversation with my friend over here because if I do, they're going to think this about me. They're going to think I'm, I'm intolerant. They're going to think that I'm ugly. They're going to think that I'm a They're going to think that that I think we're the only ones going to heaven. They're going to think all these things about me, and so I refuse to have a conversation. You shouldn't care about that as much as you care about what God thinks about you. Does God want you to have a conversation that could lead someone's soul to the waters of baptism, to redemption that's found only in Jesus, and to a place in his home in heaven? Yes. Go have those conversations. We need to quit caring about what, the, what the, our environment thinks about us and start caring about what God thinks. And then we need to be willing to try again no matter how many times you've got to start over. You've got to be willing to try again. You've got to be willing to fight. Turn with me back to the passage that, that Jeff read for us earlier, Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. I want you to notice something about this passage because I I think we do this passage a disservice in the way that we typically think about it. This passage is often used to talk about us, about our strength. We focus particularly there Verse 30 and 31, youth may become faint and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. And we look at that and we go, oh, that sounds so good. 
especially on our more weary days, the idea that, that I can be renewed, that I can gain some benefit, that if I will trust in the Lord, then I will have all of this strength and I will have all of this, this, this great ability to just carry on. There's a reason I had Jeff read all the way back from verse 21. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not considered the foundations of the earth? God is enthroned. He stretches. He spreads. He reduces. He makes judges. To whom will you compare me or who is my equal? Ask the Holy One. Look up and see who created these. He brings out the stars by number. He calls them all by name. Because of the, his great power and strength, not one of them is missing. You skip down to verse 28 in the middle. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. And because he is who he is, because he is powerful, because he is limitless, because he is almighty, and because he is everlasting, he gives strength to the faint and strengthens the weary. This passage is not about you and me. It is about him. And that's the part I think we leave out too often is that too often we look at this life and we look at our struggles and we look at our difficulties and we look at our, our responsibilities and our task list and our duties and all the things that we face on a day-to-day -day basis. We look at all of those things with a focus on us. And what we need to be doing is looking at all those things with a focus on God. He is creator. He is sustainer. He is redeemer. He is the one who provides. He is our sufficiency not us and just like Moses as we talked about in the very beginning when he tried to do it on his own he failed and he failed miserably and he failed quickly and there was no questioning that he failed and that he needed to give up and he needed to move on and that's exactly what he did he moved on out of the country to another place and gained a, an entirely different life But when God was ready, he was successful beyond all measure. And when God was leading, instead of him leading himself, he, he experienced victory. And when God was the one walking before him and walking with him and providing for him and giving him every step of the way, he was able to bring those 10 plagues. He was able to lead the people out. He was able to cross the Red Sea. He was able to bring them to Mount Sinai. He was able to bring them their covenant down from Mount Sinai because when God said it's time, he was willing to try again. Brothers and sisters, we need to be willing to do the same thing. God has given us a, an enormous task. That, that honestly, it, it, it's easy. He wants you to get out there and glorify him. 
He wants you to get out there and build up your brothers and bear their burdens and, and teach the gospel. He wants you to live righteously. He, all of those things are easy to understand. And all of those things are easy to fail in. We've got to be willing to get up and try again because it is the Lord's work he has called us to do. So I hope, I hope you will be willing to stand up and try again, no matter how many times it takes until we get to the end and we're in heaven. If you're not a child of God, that, that's your beginning point. That, that's where we need to begin. That, that's not a try again issue. That's a let's begin issue. And, and so I encourage you, if you're not a child of God, if you've not put on Christ in baptism, if you've not had your sins washed away, been made clean, been made right, God, then that, that's where you need to go. That, that's what you need to do today. You need to let us know so that we can show you what you need to see in Scripture so that you can commit yourself to Jesus and you can be baptized into Christ. But for most of us, most of us, we've done that. And we've failed the commitment we made when we did that. And maybe, depending on our circumstances, we've struggled a little bit. And so I encourage you, let's try again. Let's try again. Let's do more of what God has called us to do. Let, let's be more of what God has asked us to be. And if we can pray for you and help you in that way, we want to do so. If you need the invitation to get your life right, we encourage you to come forward and let us know as we stand and sing this song. Thanks for listening and studying God's Word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation, or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's Word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.